6,000 women are going into menopause every day and being told or suffering with perimenopause and are being given a nice pat on the shoulder saying, good luck with that, tough it out. Like, well, that's just menopause. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 169 of the Biohacker Babes. I'm Lauren tuning in with my sister, Renee. Welcome. Hello. Hello. What's happening? I'm excited for our female hormone show. So I think this is going to appeal to lots of you, even for our men in the audience. Female hormones can be a complicated and uncomfortable topic, but we're going to cover some of the misinformation or lack of information that women are getting in response to their health, to cycles ending, how to manage that change into menopause. And our lovely guest today is Esther Bloom. She's on an incredible mission to help women reclaim their health and to really feel like rock stars. I'm pretty sure I say that again in the podcast. I just think that's so awesome. That's just an amazing purpose. So she is helping with diet, lifestyle, and nutrition practices to really kind of support this gap that we're seeing. So I love this topic. I just think we need more women in this space to help uh, our female clients not be, you know, victim to gaslighting by their physicians or just be victim to lack of information or lack of time spent with the physician. There's so many healing opportunities and ways that we can optimize. And we don't have to just fall into that normal category when it could be really common, but not normal or not optimized as we like to say. Yeah. I had so many amazing takeaways from today. I think, yeah, number one is just that this transition into menopause doesn't have to be you know, miserable. I think there's so many things that we can do. And I appreciate that she always starts with lifestyle. Like you do need to minimize stress and focus on sleep and lift heavy weights, things like that before you jump to maybe doing bioidentical hormones, which is a wonderful option as well. But I, I really appreciate her approach. And I just have to throw in here, her Instagram page is awesome. So definitely go follow her over there. I think it's uh, gorgeous Esther on Instagram, such great information, but she makes it fun. All of her like reels and stuff are are very entertaining. Yeah. I just, I love her perspective on this and I think it's going to help so many women. And even after we stopped recording today, she said to us, you know, even in the next like five, 10, 20 years, we're going to see such an increase in information about what we can do for women's health. I think it's a really exciting time to be a woman. I think we're going to have so many more options (laughs) in our future. And so if you are struggling, if you're, you know, still cycling, you're perimenopausal, menopausal, and you're struggling with any of these symptoms, there are answers for you. There are practitioners out there to help you. So if you feel like your doctor is not listening to you and not giving you the best treatment, look elsewhere, be open to going elsewhere. If there is someone out there that can help you. Yeah. Ditto to that. I think we answer a lot of your common questions in this episode. So 
let's dive in. But a little more about Esther real quick. She is the best-selling author of Cave Women, Don't Get Fat, Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous, Secrets of Gorgeous, and the Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous Project. She was voted best nutritionist by Manhattan Magazine, and she's appeared on numerous television shows, radio shows, uh, lots of different publications. She is uh, spreading the wealth of her wisdom and insight. Esther received a Bachelor of Science in Clinical Nutrition from Simmons College in Boston and is a graduate of New York University, where she received her Master of Science in Clinical Nutrition. Esther is credentialed as a registered dietitian, a certified dietitian nutritionist, and a certified nutrition specialist. The certification from the Board for Certification of Nutrition Specialists. She is also a member of the American Dietetic Association Dietitians in Functional Medicine, Nutritionists in Complementary Care, and the Connecticut Dietetic Association. Okay, she is really qualified. <laughs> That's why we are so excited. Esther currently runs a virtual practice where she helps women balance hormones, lose stubborn body fat and treat the root cause of health struggles. She lives in Connecticut with her family where she can be found cooking up a storm, going for long hikes and blasting 80s music by the fire pit. Gosh, I love that. She is just so much fun, so smart. And I think you are gonna have many, many takeaways as Renee said from the show. All right, let's bring her on. Welcome Esther to the Biohacker Babes. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lauren and Renee for having me. I'm stoked. We are too. We're very excited to chat about women's hormones and the common struggles that women seem to go through like late in their cycles into peri and postmenopause, maybe perimenopause, potentially the trickiest just because it seems to be overlooked in a lot of the nutrition and I guess advice from doctors and mainstream medicine. And it can be a really chaotic time for women. So I think women yeah. feel lost and are often not given the right advice to manage their symptoms. And it seems like maybe there's potential opportunities to really optimize and thrive. And we're excited to have you here because you're going to share how women can go through this time as rock stars. So where do we kick off? It seems like there's a lot of symptoms being brushed off. So I don't know if you have a typical soapbox stance or maybe some global insights that you see in your practice is maybe where we're missing the mark or where is the misinformation coming from or just lack of information. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the lack of information, and then we'll go through the symptom checklist and how it all plays out. The lack of treatment for menopause and perimenopause care and women's health is really staggering. Um, most studies done in research, uh, clinical research, are done on men and rats, and that is because women have a monthly cycle. So we have about a thousand more variables. You know, I joke that men, it's like a light switch, you know, just on or off. And women, it's like the control panel of a jet engine. <laughs> so yeah. we just, there's a That's lot great. more at play biochemically. And none of this is taught in medical schools. I mean, it's really staggering. And 6,000 women are going into menopause every day and being told or suffering with perimenopause and are given a prescription for the pill told to insert an IUD or um, being given a nice pat on the shoulder saying, good luck with that, tough it out. Like, well, that's just menopause. And one of my clients said her own GYN was like, well, I think you should put in an IUD, but I personally take shots of Benadryl every night. I mean, it's just like, so right. I mean, the look on your face, right? wow. <laughs> for those of you, it's, oh it's so God. egregious. And it's like this all the time. Like every single day I speak to women 
And it is the same conversation. It's some variation of these conversations. So perimenopausal symptoms and menopausal symptoms are actually the same. The only difference is that in menopause, you know, you go 12 straight consecutive months without a period. And in perimenopause, you can still be cycling regularly. You can skip periods here or there. You know, there's a a regularity or there's regularity. And first of all, you may notice, right, changes in the timing of your cycle. Some get longer, some get shorter and come more frequently every two to three weeks. You may notice that your cycle gets progressively lighter and lighter. Or you may notice you're passing clots and hemorrhaging and changing a tampon every single hour and still leaking and like can't even sleep through the night. Then there is what I like to call meno rage, which is just, and you know, I have learned to use this as a real gift and giving me a lot of insight into what's happening into my life. But you will have just this incredible amounts of rage where you pretty much want to like blow up every building <laughs> and like Uh-oh. drive um, your car. You know, that scene in uh, Driving Miss Daisy when uh, Kathy Bates <laughs> is like, Tawanda! And she's like crashing yes. into the car, right? <laughs> like you feel like Tawanda. And then, so there's a lot of irritability and, you know, uh, frustration and, and rage. And then there's also weight gain, poor sleep, as your progesterone declines, your sleep can be interrupted. You got to pee more. There's changes to your pelvic floor and there's vaginal dryness and low libido and, or an increase in body temperature where you're like, I'm, I'm hot, or you can have the full out hot flashes. So that's kind of like the, the most typical symptoms I've seen. There's also like brain fog. You can get what I call the dropsies, which happens in pregnancy too. Like pregnancy, I noticed I was extra clumsy and had the dropsies. That has to do with fluctuating progesterone levels. So those symptoms are are the most classic ones I see. And doctors are not given the tools. I don't think our doctors are mean or horrible people. I think they just honestly don't know because they're not taught. Sure. So that's why I was like, I'm going to write this book, this, this gorgeous book, See You Later, Ovulator, because I was like, I am going to give women the tools they need to deal with this and bring this into their doctor's offices because that's really how we're going to change the symptom uh, the symptoms the uh, the trajectory of menopause care is when we start demanding it and like saying i have research in this book here's mm-hmm. the trajectory you really need to read this and by the way when you go through menopause you're going to want this book to help you. <laughs> yeah yeah well, for the male so, doctors like you're never going to understand this so let me tell you <laughs> that's right yeah that's right it'll yeah. be like the bible for menopause which will be much needed. I it should be the Bible for menopause. I'm going to steal that line. Yes, <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, a lot of those symptoms you just mentioned, I feel like they're kind of quote unquote normal, but is that because we could do something to reduce those symptoms? Like, do we need to just accept that that's going to happen and do whatever we can to offset it? Or I don't know, like how normal are those really? Yeah, well, they're not normal, but they've become normalized. And so they're common, but they're not normal. And we know this because it's fascinating too. And I I really, this warrants more research, is that, you know, I continually have come across practitioners and talked to colleagues and they're like, Japan doesn't really have these issues. Like Japanese women is just called, called the second spring. Japanese women tend to have much lower symptoms. I believe so much of this is correlated to our lifestyle and our stress. 
uh, we we have a really high octane lifestyle. I mean, the, the phone and the screens and the incessant you know work schedule that never ends anymore. Like there's a and the and the news feed that's coming across, and then you know working full time and having a family and taking care of aging parents at this age. Like there's a lot on our plates, people. So we have, you know, yeah. I think that's why the symptoms are you know so rampant, but. That doesn't mean that they're not treatable. I treat them every day in practice, and we do see improvements in all fronts across. You know, I get women who literally are pooling blood in their shoes when they have their cycle to like having totally normal, normal, controllable periods. So you can absolutely mm. get this under control. And any point on the spectrum, is it ever too late? What is the best time to start doing this? I mean, if you if a woman came in at the end of perimenopause, like almost fully menopausal, you wouldn't say like, oh, it's too late. Like we can start anytime, any day. No, I mean, um, traditional medical models will say you cannot even think of starting hormone replacement until a woman has been in menopause for, you know, a full year. My book helps you understand that you can actually start during perimenopause and you should because with, and when I'm talking about bioidentical hormone replacement, the reason is that the closer you start to your menopausal trajectory, the better your long-term outcomes will be for preventing bone loss and osteoporosis. Estrogen plays a huge role. If you're just taking calcium and vitamin D, but not adding an estrogen down the line, the research shows it's much more difficult to maintain bone mass. You're also preventing Alzheimer's and heart disease, which all come with the decline in estrogen, progesterone, and even testosterone. And women are often surprised to hear they need testosterone. They're always terrified they're going to start growing chin hair and feeling ragey. And I'm like, no, it's actually, you know, the, the doses with bioidentical hormones are about a fifth of the dose of birth control. And here's what's so ironic, right? We have, you know, when you're a teenager, and this happened to me, right? You get a regular periods and the doctor says, go on birth control or go on the mini pill and that will quote unquote regulate your cycles. Then you have, you know, have a family or you're in a long-term relationship and the doctor says, well, you got to, you know, go on the pill or have an IUD in place. And listen, those are all solid birth control options. Okay. I'm not dissing birth control here. They can cause complications for some women. For other women, they tolerate them fine. But my point is, you know, there are always hormonal options for women. And then when they're done with menopause and say to their doctor, I want to start taking hormone replacement, the doctor says, oh, you can't do that. That's an off-label use. And it's like, really? Because there are women on, you know, IUDs or birth control pills on a continuous cycle who don't get their periods. And those are off-label uses of those products. So as long as a doctor deems you medically, uh, as a medically qualified, any doctor can prescribe bioidentical hormones, whether it's your primary care physician, your GYN, or your functional medicine doctor. The difference is with those practitioners, when you go to someone who specializes in hormones, you're gonna get far better follow-up care. A lot of doctors will write a prescription and then send you on your merry way. There's no tweaking. There's no understanding if your tissues are saturating with optimal hormones to prevent those degenerative diseases we talked about. So you really do want to not only be on hormones when the time comes, but you also want to be with a practitioner who understands how to 
monitor you while you're on hormones because you do need to be monitored carefully. Mm. Oh gosh, I have so many questions about what you just said. <laughs> Me I too. Um, oh. I certainly see that a lot. The doctors yeah. put you on something and they never follow up and it's like, oh, maybe just the dosage was slightly wrong. And then there's just, you know, good luck. Good luck. Bye. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the wild west. Yeah. yeah. So what would deem you or a doctor to start someone on hormones? Would you do a Dutch test first, a blood hormone test first? Like what would start that process? What's up, biohackers? We want to take a few moments to tell you about our latest discovery. This may be the hottest super nutrient-packed new product to boost your brain and overall well-being on the market. So first of all, a little bit about my experience. I know that this product does not have any caffeine, so I thought, okay, this will be my afternoon pick-me-up. But I took it around 4 p.m., and then when I got in bed that night, I noticed that I was very creative. My brain was still flowing. I was thinking about all these really cool ideas for the podcast. It wasn't like a stimulating feeling like coffee, but just really focused. And I was like, wow, that's amazing that these ingredients can make you feel so productive, You know, really good mental clarity, really gets rid of that brain fog. I was just so blown away. And this product was developed after long years of research by the most advanced brain chemist and formulator today. You probably have all heard about the superpowers of mushroom extracts and collagen. So guess what? The product we want to share with you today contains the most hyper-concentrated forms of the four best health-boosting mushrooms, lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi, collagen, and Peruvian cacao. This magic in a jar is called Collagenius. When you combine the cultivating powers of the four mushrooms mentioned above with the various benefits of collagen, it is truly the most effective way to energize your brain and body. It is genius, it is delicious, and it is effective. Yeah, and it's great because you can actually add it to your coffee. You can just mix it with water. I personally like putting it with a little bit of coconut milk. Really, really easy. It's smooth, chocolatey. It reminds me of like a chocolate milkshake. It's so yummy. And it definitely, it'll fit into your routine, whether it's more morning time or afternoon. I really love to add it to my grass-fed Greek yogurt. It tastes like pancakes. It's like pancake yogurt or into my smoothie. And just like Renee said, it's just so delicious. I really look forward to adding in some nutrition in the morning. Yeah. And the most important thing is it actually fuels your brain and body with all day energy without any of those jitters or crashes, which... I know no one likes. So if you find that you're struggling with like brain fog or difficulty focusing and you want to repair your brain in a natural way, don't wait. You got to check out this product. It's for sure the hottest mushroom and collagen product on the market. And we love it. Yeah, it was just launched, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be sold out so soon. So we encourage you to not wait. Go check it out at newtopia.com backslash biohacker babes genius. Oh, we're geniuses now. <laughs> Use code BIOHACKERBABES10 during checkout to save 10%. And Newtopia, the company which makes Collagenius, is so confident that you will love this product that they are offering a 365 days money back guarantee. Again, that special link is www.newtopia.com backslash BIOHACKERBABESGENIUS. And you can use code BIOHACKERBABES10 during checkout. That will save you 10%. And we will put these links in the show notes for today's episode, as well as our podcast episode with the creator of Newtopia. So make sure you check out the show notes and let's get back to the show. So a lot of doctors, first and foremost, are reticent to start. You may hear from your doctor, well, I'm not even going to bother testing your hormones because your, your estrogens can be all over the place. And that's factually correct. Your estrogen levels can fluctuate 
up to 30% on any given day. So when you start perimenopause, which is why you get those like extreme rages and then extreme fatigue, and you know, you can have be all over the map there. So what I like to do is I like to test and not guess. So I do comprehensive metabolic blood panel. I will check comprehensive thyroid tests, your glucose and insulin, your ferritin, your uh, vitamin D and magnesium and zinc. I mean, it's a long panel, all your inflammatory markers. Then for hormones, I actually don't do blood. I do Dutch because it's going to tell me your metabolites. It, it's going to show me, you know, your metabolites for estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So I understand what's happening downstream. Like, not only do I am I able to see if you're making the hormones, but I'm able to see how they're actually moving through your liver and if you're detoxing or methylating them. And a blood test just doesn't really show that. Doesn't show the bigger picture. The Dutch will also show your morning and your metabolized cortisol. It will show your, or I do the Dutch complete. So it shows your organic acids also. So it's far more comprehensive into what's happening, you know, bigger picture. And then I also pair that with the GI map to see how you're detoxing estrogen in your gut and also see if you have any low-grade pathogens or parasites. I want to make sure your digestive fire is like really up to speed. So because the better your gut health through perimenopause and menopause, the better your outcomes will be through menopause and you'll absorb your nutrients better and you're just going to feel way better. Mm. Oh, I would love to talk about nutrients. Go ahead, Renee. I was going to ask on the GI map, what uh, biomarkers are you looking at to determine what's going on with hormones? Uh, Beta-glucuronidase. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the main one. That's the primary one. But also, I mean, you know, if someone's got a lot of inflammation and a leaky gut and they're not even breaking down fat and, you know, just really poor immune function, like, you know, they're there not going to be doing a great job processing their hormones if they're not even processing their nutrients. And so what Mm -hmm. most people don't realize is, right, we put hormones in and then they have to come out. We have to poop them out basically. So you need to make sure you're pooping every day. If you're somebody who's constipated and you want to start hormones, that's going to be really rough. If someone has a fatty liver and they want to start hormones, again, that can be really rough. You got to, or just really poor methylation patterns, got to really support the liver function and gut function to make sure that what goes in comes out quite simply just got to process those hormones. You don't want them to build up in your system. A, you'll feel like garbage, but B, you don't want to put yourself at risk for any hormone related cancers. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like the detoxification is highly overlooked with doctors. And I love the, the Dutch highlights that as well. I had a client last week who I've been working on with her to manage glucose for the last year. And she's now fully in perimenopause. So lots of fluctuations and, you know, she just wants to feel better. And I I told her, I was like, you deserve that. But her, she found a physician, put her on birth control. Mm. And again, I was like, ah, you deserve to feel better. But like, did he want to see your Dutch test? And then I didn't even wait for the answer because I knew the answer was no, but I'm like, why are we not looking at the liver? Why are we not looking at the microbiome? And do you think that those are like maybe two of the biggest places? I know you mentioned stress management, but of course yes. stress can impact liver microbiome. Like where do you start? What 100%. does that stress look like? hundred percent. Yes. Hormones are a piece of the pie. They're not the end all be all. You cannot out hormone your lifestyle choices. If you're still drinking heavy, 
every day. I mean, for every one cocktail you have, you're going to elevate your circulating estrogen levels for four to six hours after. So I'm not saying never have a drink, but I'm saying be judicious. If you're someone who's drinking every night, you've got to cut back because that's going to also really do a number on your hormones, your thyroid. I mean, it really suppresses thyroid function for about four days after every cocktail. And it Mm. doesn't do any favors for your body composition or your sleep. So, you know, you want to revisit alcohol. You want to revisit caffeine. We don't detox caffeine the same way we did in our 20s and 30s. So, and and people are terrified to give up coffee. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) switch to some adaptogenic drink. There's, um, what is there, mud or there's Four Sigmatic Perform. Like you switch to those, you may feel tired initially, but long-term your energy is going to be so much better. Your blood sugar will be better controlled. And this is if it's messing with your sleep or your or your cortisol levels. I mean, if you tolerate coffee, I'm certainly not taking that away from you. But but if you are having all these symptoms, it's worth revisiting. And And stress is the biggest piece of this. And I will say, ladies, launching a book is no freaking joke. And I, this is just like tales from the crypt here, but like (laughs) I slept, I mean, as we're recording this, my book is out, but the whole month prior, my sleep was dog poop. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I'd redone my Dutch. I just met with my doctor last week. And he's like, there is nothing hormonally, which I knew too. He's like, there's nothing hormonally that's messing with your sleep. And I was like, oh, well, I had the book launch. And I was like, hello, I had the book launch. Like, of course I'm up at three in the morning thinking about all the thousand pieces that need to go right. And of course it doesn't go right. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't go right. Come on, It's, it's a lot of stress. And I was like, dude, take your own advice. And like, and I had had COVID, so I wasn't exercising to manage my stress other than walking, you know? So I figured I was like tree physician, heal thyself, right? I was like, dude, And so really started taking a little extra lemon balm at night, started, you know, instead of ruminating at three in the morning, catching myself and being like, just go back to your deep breathing. Just take 10 real, you know, the four, seven, eight breathing, just get back to that. And then was able to fall back asleep some nights and other nights. No. So, and my husband said to me when I, he's like, do not let this mess with your sleep. Like you gotta, you gotta think on this. And I meditate every night, fall asleep fine. It's just. So, you know, we, we have to really take our own advice and, and pay really close attention to the lifestyle because the lifestyle actually is going to outweigh any pill you take, any supplement you take, any piece of food you put in my mouth. It all starts with the mind and the mind drives that lovely HPA axis, which really, you know, if your stress is high and your adrenals are cooked, you're not going to produce hormones well after menopause, you'll feel really sluggish and tired. Your cortisol will be off. You'll and you certainly won't produce hydrochloric acid to digest your food. Your body's in a fight or flight state all the time. So mm-hmm. we do have to take this seriously. We really do. Like it's and it's the hardest thing. Lifestyle is the hardest thing for people to do. Hardest yeah. thing. And not medicating the stress with alcohol or you know staying up late watching something. It's such an easy spiral, and we've all been there. I'm sure. Yes. And retail therapy and retail therapy is so good, but then you're like, but, but, you know, you can't do it all the time. So yeah. Yeah. And really, you know, the other piece that I really realized where I caught myself, I mean, just to show you all, like I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not infallible. I was on my phone at night 
in bed. And I was like, what the hell are you doing, lady? Like, like go back to reading a book, a paperback book or journaling or like just do not get on your phone. So I, I was like, right, because I used to have a hard and fast rule. So I set like, do not disturb on my phone, like all mm. these things we can do. But it makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah. Some healthy boundaries. We're, we're all guilty of little mm. things all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's easy to say, oh, just this one time, but it's never one time. <laughs> yeah. It tends Slippery, to spiral. dark, slow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which like, I think a lot of people are on like that caffeine alcohol cycle. Like they don't sleep well, so then they caffeinate and then they're wide awake. So then they drink some alcohol, they try to sleep. So how do hormones play a role with the sleep component? Mm. I, I mean, if that's truly why mm. they're not sleeping, it's not just the stress yes. or the caffeine. So pro- what happens first in perimenopause is that progesterone tends to drop. And if you're on a birth control pill, if you're on a hormonal-based IUD, those two will suppress ovulation, will suppress progesterone so you can't ovulate and get pregnant. So you, and, and chronic stress drives progesterone low. That tends to fall first for most people. And I would say 98% of people whose Dutch tests I see, the progesterone starts to get low. This can start in your 30s. This could start in your 40s. I had a woman in my practice who was 29 who went through menopause. Trauma can also ignite menopause at any age. I've had many clients who's ha- had like a sudden death of a parent or a very stressful divorce and that totally turned on menopause and it was mm-hmm. like a switch flipping wow so, just from the <clears throat> drop in progesterone is that what's well, happening well uh, yeah i mean the whole hypopituitary uh, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis just like just, puts you in such a fight or flight state that yeah your harm your body's mm-hmm. like don't want to be pregnant don't want to make a baby right now no whole show not is open. safe closes yeah, the yeah. door not safe not safe So progesterone starts to drop and then why, and all of a sudden we start to have mental health changes like anxiety and depression because, and insomnia, progesterone is that calming precursor to GABA, which is this very calming neurotransmitter that helps you fall asleep. So in its absence, just falling asleep can be horrible. Plus estrogen is running around totally unopposed. So you start to get hot flashes, that real irritability, and sleep can be very difficult to come by. So again, progesterone is good at helping you fall asleep. And then later on, when you bring estrogen into the picture, that helps you stay asleep. Testosterone can help a little bit with sleep too. But primarily, like once I add in progesterone, or let's say a woman is like pre-perimenopausal, she's just a regular menstruating female, but having trouble sleeping and her progesterone is a little low, you can bump it up with some Vitex or Chase Tree and some adrenal support, some maca, that's M-A-C-A. And for those of you who are listening to this and are saying, I can't take hormones or I've had cancer, my oncologist will not let me replenish with hormones. Maca is you know, very beneficial, reduces hot flashes in like 80%, uh, pardon me, 87% of women in clinical trials. So you can bring in maca and adrenal support. But yeah, adding in progesterone can really start to help you sleep for sure. Hmm. Can I just ask you about that cancer component? So I've heard this a lot. You know, a lot of doctors say if you have that BRCA gene or if you have a history of breast cancer, like totally off the table, not an option. Would you go right to the herbal supplementation or do you think there is a proper dosage and like, I guess, compounded synergy with HRT that can work in that case? 
Yeah. Well, in these cases, obviously I have someone work with a functional medicine doctor to really just assess their overall risk. What I do on my end is check out the Dutch and the GI map because if your methylation patterns are good and if you're carefully monitored, you're getting annual sonograms, you're getting annual mammograms, then you can actually still go ahead. And there are women with the BRCA genes who've had mastectomies or and or hysterectomies and still their doctors still put them on HRT. So, which is fascinating to me, but you know, they're still at less risk without the organs. I, I'm guessing I haven't done enough clinical research in this. I'm not an oncology specialist at all, full disclaimer, but just logically thinking, I'm like, well, I guess the organs are there. They can't physically get cancer. But, you know, ruling out and and just looking at your detox pathways with cancer is just a good thing anyway. You know, in my functional medicine training, we were taught that we all have the genes for cancer, right? And genetics are the gun, environment pulls the trigger. So, you know, you can have the genes for cancer. It doesn't mean they're going to be expressed. And the healthier your liver is, the healthier your detox pathways are, um, the healthier elimination patterns are and daily bowel movements two times a day, three times a day, you know, that lowers each of those pieces lowers your cancer risk. So it's not a hard no. And I treat women who have been treated for cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and they work with a doctor and the doctor's like, you know what? Your quality of life is actually greater of greater importance than the statistical significance of your risk of recurrence of cancer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wow. it really is so individual and, and doctors are, some are like, if you read the book, estrogen matters, like they'll be like, go for it, start hormones, no matter what. But I think a lot of doctors are afraid, uh, and don't mm-hmm. want to lose their licenses and certainly don't want to give anybody cancer. And they just don't know enough about nutrition and liver detox and, you know, to like, take it on. Yeah. I just feel like there aren't enough doctors doing that. And the, the, I guess female doctors that are really speaking out are not the ones that are even taking clients anymore because they're, they're speaking so much. So it's, I feel like it's just hard to find those physicians that will do it. That's what I was going to ask next is how, yeah. How do you find Mm. that doctor? Like is IFM a good resource? Hey, biohackers, did you know the use of silver actually has a long history and has been used by many ancient civilizations as a means to not only maintain health, but to preserve food and beverages? Before the mainstream discovery and acceptance of antibiotics in the early 1900s, silver was used in hospitals and is actually still used today. Silver has generally gotten a really bad reputation. Maybe you've heard the scary claims from the blue man that took too much silver, Well, quantity and especially quality really matter here. So most silver supplementation on the market is ionic silver, and it is unsafe for the body if used in high quantities. This is why we really love Silver Soul technology. It's not ionic, and it's a true colloidal silver, which is a nanoparticle coated by a silver oxide. What you really need to remember is that it's more effective, more efficient at lower parts per million. Silver Soul technology is 10 to 33 parts per million, where other companies have up to 3,000 parts per million. The takeaway, more is not better. Yeah, and Silver Biotics actually has a range of products, but we especially love their immune-specific line. 
the silver soul technology has a natural way of targeting invaders without the side effects. This uses multiple modes of action on how it actually targets invaders, and it uses the natural elements to kind of trick the body, so to speak, and then it kickstarts the immune system. Yes, I love these natural defenses. So it actually came to the rescue to me the other day. I was feeling a little run down and at the end of my luteal phase. So for my ladies, that is when we are the most vulnerable. So I took a few doses and a day later, I was feeling pretty brand new. I was just so grateful that I had this stuff on hand. And guess what? I'm still not blue. I can confirm that she is not blue (laughs) and either am I. And I've had a similar experience. It really kind of saved the day for me. And on top of the immune line, we have some other products from them that we love their skincare, like their healing skin cream, the anti-aging facial serum, and then their oral care. The whitening toothpaste is amazing. I call myself a toothpaste snob. I have tried all the natural ones and usually when they're really clean toothpaste, they don't work well, but this one is incredible. You know what? I think my teeth are turning blue. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) That's what the whitening toothpaste is for. Actually, I love the toothpaste too. We get sent a lot of different brands of toothpaste to try. And I have to say, never usually a fan, but this one is a clear winner in my book. I'm definitely going to continue it. And to wrap things up, they also have the wound care product and they have pet care products for all the animal lovers out there like Lauren and I. Meow. (laughs) surprised you didn't woof. Woof. (laughs) So if you want to check out the products from Silver Biotics, you can head over to silverbiotics.com and make sure you use discount code biohackerbabes at checkout to save some money. We will put the link to their website and the discount code in the show notes for today's episode. All right, let's get back to the show. IFM is decent. Um, IFM.org, um, dutchtest.com. You can find a practitioner, but make sure it's mm. a physician, not just a practitioner or a physician or a naturopathic physician who can prescribe. Yeah. Right. I, I usually end up asking, like if I have a client in a, in an area where I don't know there's a doctor, I'll ask a colleague at the Dutch test. I'll be like, who do you know? Or sometimes they refer people to me. It's just been really slowly building a network and if my clients have somebody good, I'm like, give me their info. Would you recommend them? And I also want to make sure that the doctors are collaborative because the really good ones are actually very collaborative and are like, totally see us as a team and helping support women, you know, each of our clients, right? But a lot of doctors I notice will not even get on the phone with me. I'm like, hey, can we discuss blah, blah, blah. And they just won't even get on the phone with me. So it's fascinating to see the gamut. And I suspect it's if they're not comfortable with their their own knowledge or just comfortable saying, I don't know. Let's see. Let's try it. You know, I don't know. I'm always like, hey, if I don't know something, I'll tell you. I do not know. I'm going to send you someone who does because it's not about you. It's about the humans you're helping every time. So, yeah, I don't know. Tough I'm yeah, like, physicians to admit that. <laughs> I know, but it's healthy to imagine if a physician was just really honest and was like, dude, I don't know. I'll send just, I'm open to learning. I just don't personally know. Great. Like then you trust them even more. Yeah, so absolutely. Honest. I agree. I, although I kind of said this to a client recently, I was kind of like, you know, hands up. I was like, I think, let me refer you to one of my colleagues I think could help you more. And they got upset with me. And I was oh. like, I'm being honest. I don't think that I can help you as much as someone else might be able to help you. And they got yeah. they got upset. 
It's like, oh, you're no. abandoning me, Renee. <laughs> oh, was that it? Was it about abandonment? I think they felt that. But I was trying to pass no. them off to, I had two colleagues that I thought could really help them. But yeah. Um, I think it's the tough when someone is, feels safe and they trust you. That's a really difficult thing. It is. And it's hard to like start with a new practitioner. We're like, I have to tell my story all over again. Then we have to go, you know, it, it yeah. is hard. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. But for better care. Yeah. But you know, it's a good lesson in life. I mean, I, I worked with one of the top functional medicine doctors in the country and she kept saying to me, you know, I, I think you've got Lyme and mold. I think you've got Lyme and mold. I was like, no, I don't. And so she's like, I really want you to work with my colleague. And I worked with him and he was the only person who figured out I did have Lyme and mold and like treated me because I was so sick. So going to so many different practitioners for so many years. So for those of you listening who don't want to go to a new doctor, I would say just open yourself to the possibility that not only can be good, but in some ways it may be better if the doctor is a better fit for you or just knows more than your current practitioner. And you can always go back to your current practitioner, but it's not always the best resource of your time and, and financial resources. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah. going to someone who's saying, I really don't know what I'm doing here, or I think someone knows it better than me. Right. We don't, we can't know everything. That would be wonderful, but it's impossible. (laughs) So how did, how did you find out it was Lyme and mold? Was it new labs Uh, or? Yes, it was. I did three labs uh, for Lyme. I did two were negative. One was inconclusive. And then the doctor was like, do my tests. So I had to reinvest all over again like do mine, they're the most sensitive. Knowledge I had Lyme, but I also Bartonella, which is a co-infection. And then the mold, I mean, I knew we had had a mold issue in our house, which I thought we remediated. And it was still not fully remediated. And it was also not out of my body. It was still, so we had our house Mm. tested and then we had me tested. And so we just retested. It took me like a year to get it you know, so we got the mold out and then I'm going to redo my Lyme tests uh, either next month or the month after, but I don't have any symptoms anymore, which is great. Now we're just dealing with menopause and gut issues, but Hey, I'll take it over Lyme and mold any day, any day. Yeah. Those are nasty ones. Mm -hmm. I'm circling back to the bioidentical hormones. So are you in belief that we, once we start the hormones, we do need to be on them for the rest of our lives? Mm, again, really depends on individuals. So I would okay. say be on them a minimum of 10 years just for quality of life issues, for preventing bone loss, for preventing uh, Alzheimer's and heart disease. However, I have women I treat and practice in their 70s and they were like the early pioneers, you know, and they say they're never going off because when they do, their hot flashes return or their vaginal dryness returns. And they're like, I don't, want the symptoms. I want quality of life. Mm, And mm. there's a whole generation of women that did not get the proper treatment because of the the research on menopause was done with that women's health initiative study that used it. It did. uh, There was a study done on women who are 10 years postmenopausal and they gave them the urine of pregnant horses, uh, you know, hormones derived from the urine of pregnant horses. That's not even physiological, physiologically compatible <laughs> with a woman's body, but it was like, just like putting them on all these synthetic hormones. And then the results came out and they said, oh, you've increased risk of strokes and blood clots 
and this is dangerous and you're going to die. <laughs> and, yep. you know, the pamphlets in waiting rooms or the printouts that you get in the pharmacy has not been updated. So you still have all this information scaring the crap out of women. And in 2018 and again, 2022, the uh, North American Menopause Society reversed the position on this in two separate papers and said, you know what? Um, that was a very poorly designed study. The data was not interpreted favorably or correctly. And we re, you know, we re-examined the data and it shows not only are hormones safe to start early, they're safe to be on for a minimum of 10 years, you know, and they're they're very beneficial. So I get a lot of pushback already since the book has been coming out. I notice when I do interviews and on Instagram, I'll, I'll get pushback and a lot of people say these are not safe, they're not beneficial. Studies in your book are not, you know. They're not valid enough. I'm like, well, mm. this is the best I got for you. These are the studies that are out. And a lot more research does need to be done. But I can either wait 20 more years for the good research to come out, <laughs> or I can start reversing vaginal dryness and insomnia and hot flashes pretty much in a matter of weeks and help these women who are suffering miserably for no good reason. So you tell me, of course, I'm like, no, we're going to do it now. And we're going to look at your Dutch. And we're going to make sure that you're, and, and then once your hormones are pretty stable, you can look at blood work by the way too, but you know, we're just going to keep testing you and monitoring. And that's how you do it. Cause I'm not, I'm not waiting. I'm willing to take flack. I, I don't, as long as women get their quality of life back, I will do, I will beg, borrow and steal. I do not care. Yeah. yeah. I think with that goal, quality of life, that's all that matters. And it's interesting that that kind of outdated research is, and I guess that narrative that has created a lot of fear in people is prevailing as opposed to what we're not talking about is kind of the downstream effects of going on birth control. It's like, that's the solution. And sure, I understand the intention for doctors is I want you to feel better. And I think clients, patients deserve to feel better. But yeah, where is that information? It's like maybe we're having symptoms because liver microbiome stress is not managed. And aren't we going to just make it worse? What are you seeing with Yes, a hundred percent. I'll just call it a band-aid. <laughs> yeah, the band-aid. Well, what happens is, yes, I mean, it, it can control potentially your estrogen surges, but what it's also doing is suppressing progesterone. So you put a woman in her 50s whose progesterone is already in the peri to postmenopausal range, and then you put her on a birth control, a form of birth control that's going to continue to drive her progesterone down. You're going to see horrible um, mental health changes. You're going to see a lot of anxiety and depression. And, you know, progestin, giving the progestin only pill or, you know, synthetic progestin doesn't touch the neurotransmitters in the brain the way that bioidentical progesterone does. Bioidentical progesterone lights up those neurotransmitters, gets you making GABA, like chills you out, just takes the edge off that rage. Synthetic hormones don't even touch that. And they're mm. also not going to support, you know, rebuilding collagen in the vaginal walls, like you can get, you know, localized estrogen um, in a vaginal cream or a suppository. And this has been proven safe just as a treatment for vaginal dryness or atrophy um, and incontinence. This is a safe treatment, even for women. And again, with your doctor, but the estrogen and the hormones stay very localized and there's no difference in 
circulating blood estrogen levels between a woman who is using vaginal estrogen and a woman who is not. So it is technically safe for women who've gone through cancer treatments to just get some symptomatic relief. But this is a time to replenish hormones, not suppress them on birth control. So if you're using the pill or you've been on the IUD a long time and you're thinking, well, I don't want to stop it now because then it's going to be hell on earth unleashed, right? Work with a doctor who will slowly add in bioidentical hormones or start you just at a higher dose of a synthetic hormone and then switch you over to bioidenticals. I worked with doctors who do this all the time and it's a Mm. little bumpy. Um, It's potentially your hot flashes can return for a short period of time or your symptoms can return as your body's transitioning and then your body adjusts and gets used to it again. And you have to think like long-term, this is really going to be worth it. Oh, yeah. Definitely the long-term picture is worth it. And again, I think finding the right practitioner, like you've said several times, I think is so important. I think a lot of women are probably wondering this big question, what am I supposed to eat? I feel like the nutrition debate for this change in hormones is, you know. Like peri to post. Yeah. But I mean, there's a big push for keto now versus maybe carb cycling. I'm just curious what your opinion is on nutrition. So keto, again, bear in mind the studies are done on men, okay? When I wrote my book, Cave Women Don't Get Fat, which is a paleo diet book for women, I looked at 73 studies on intermittent fasting. Only 13 were done on men, okay? I'm going to tell you what I've done in my small population of my own private practice over 27 years. I will tell you that, I mean, it's small relative to like the big studies of, you know, 83,000 people, whatever. I will tell you that cycling women have a harder time with intermittent fasting than non-cycling women because there's no, there's a lot less fluctuating insulin levels. There's a lot less, uh, you know, there's no monthly cycle. So the first half of your cycle, you're more insulin sensitive. The second half of your cycle, you're more insulin resistant. So if you do intermittent fast, you may find you're better the first half of your cycle, not so much the second half. For those of you who don't know what intermittent fasting is, it's a shorter window of eating. So that could be a 12-hour fast where you eat dinner at 7, you don't have breakfast before 7 a.m., or it could be eating, you know, between 10 to 6 or 12 to 6, you know, you can have, or you can do 5-2 method of fasting where you eat normally five days a week and two weeks Uh, two days out of the week, you're only eating about 500 calories a day. Those are all different fabulous methods of fasting. But anecdotally, I do see menopausal mamas do better than cycling women. Hmm. Keto is great for reducing hot flashes. We do know that. But after about three months, you know, the adrenals and the thyroid start to tank. The results tend to stop for women. And then the weight gain starts to come on. So if you're going to do it, do it short term to get some blessed relief until we can get your test done and you can see a doctor. Then I do recommend, you know, bringing carbs in and you can do this a couple ways. So, so first of all, I have three mental laws for fat loss. Okay. One is to optimize your protein intake. That is by, um, meaning you should eat about a gram of protein per pound of your ideal body weight. So for the average woman I see, This works out to four to six ounces of protein at a meal three times a day. You intermittent fast and eat twice a day, then that means you get about seven to eight ounces of protein at each of those two meals, okay? 
So you want to get, you know, I love for women to get at least no less than 100 grams of protein a day, but 120 to 140, 50 seems to be really like the optimal range to make sure you optimize your muscle mass. You're not losing muscle, bouncing your blood sugar, sleeping well, all the good things, insulin management, fat loss, all the really important pieces. And I have to give a shout out to my girl, Gabrielle Lyon. I mean, please, she's the protein researcher. Protein queen. <laughs> yeah. Not wait yeah. till her book comes out. I'm going to be like the first one. I'll be like on Amazon at 12.01, like a pre-ordering that. Thing. Fingers ready. Fingers <laughs> right. The second is to have your proteins, second meno law, it's to have your proteins higher than your carbs. Meaning track your food on an app for three days, right? Let's say you have 120 grams of protein a day. Don't go above about 100 grams of carbs a day. Keep your ratios lower. I don't have a specific ratio. It's a little trial and error. If you're working out and lifting heavy, you can get away with more carbs than, and, and you have more muscle mass. You're going to be more insulin sensitive than if you're just sitting on your butt all day and not really moving. There was a great study that came out recently, by the way, that showed that even 10 minutes of walking after a meal lowers your blood sugar by 17%. So like, it's really not hard. I'm not giving you like these Herculean tasks that you can't do. You don't need to like sit in a sweat lodge for six days and do crazy things. You can just move your ass. <laughs> and yep. the third... <laughs> and immediately, that study is interesting because it's like you have to walk right away. You can't walk, wait like 30 minutes. It's like, Which get is, up and go. That's <laughs> how I do my morning. You know, I walk for an hour with the dog and I literally eat breakfast and walk right out the door. And I've worn a continuous glucose monitor my sugar bumps up to 110. And by the time that walk is down, I'm down to 78. I'm like, here we go. I mean, this is really easy to do. Yeah. So mm -hmm. simple. Go for and the Apasagiata. Exactly. And then you have the fuel in your muscles to go lift after that. So you're like, I'm set. This is perfect. The last, the, the last mental law I have is to have your carbs, heavier carb meal at night, kind of protein by day carbs at night. The bump in insulin that you get is going to tamp down your cortisol. They're antagonistic to each other. So it does help you sleep. It helps you, you feel you know just relaxed. Your serotonin and dopamine uh, receptors are getting a nice bump. So quality carbs, obviously, sweet potatoes, winter squash, legumes if you tolerate them, some quinoa, you know, really good quality plant, plant-based carbs. All yeah, I feel tips. like that's one of the greatest myths in nutrition that like we're supposed to eat carbs in the morning, protein at night. <laughs> when I, I share know. that with clients, they're like heads blow off. I'm like, what? Still, I just see yeah. people have really poor sleep from just doing too many, too much protein at night and not enough carbs. That's right. And too much intense cardio during the day when they should actually be doing a lot more walking to lower cortisol and, and do mm. some lifting and then have some carbs after lifting to again, shut down that cortisol. Like yeah. honey is a very underrated post-workout carb, like honey and maple syrup are on, and a little bit of fruit and you're like, good. It yeah. really makes a big difference. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You just mentioned the cardio concern. I mean, do you see like chronic cardio being a major problem for women? Yes. Because here's what happens is they, you know, get their kids off to school. They go work out before work and they're just grinding in these high intensity boot camp classes or spin classes. And then by 3 p.m., they're like crying with exhaustion. And then they go have a Starbucks to get through <laughs> the rest of the day. And then they don't sleep. And then their cortisol is high all night. And the whole cycle begins again. And they're exhausted. They're just going. It's not like they're energized or feeling good. 
they're just doing anything they can to fight the menopot, which is like that five or 10 pounds that just comes on overnight or what feels like overnight. So they're grinding and grinding and just running on fumes. And I'm like, you actually don't have to do that anymore. You can actually walk. And they're like, I'm like, I'm telling (laughs) you, just walking is the most underrated fat burning activity. Yes. My calves are like so defined. It's nuts. My (laughs) son was 15. He's like, whoa, dude, those are like awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Really defined calves. And, uh, and, you know, and lifting, right? Because lifting is going to really repair the metabolism. And I don't lift more than like 20 minutes at a time, a couple times a week. That's it. But lifting just, just gets those insulin receptors open and gets the insulin into the cells. And, you know, it works better than metformin, guys. Like there's been research studies to show that lifting weights sensitizes your body far better than any drug. So without the side effects. <laughs> without the side yeah. effects, yes. And so why wouldn't you? Like, and by the way, the more muscle you have, the lower your risk of mortality because the greatest risk of mortality comes with aging and muscle loss and falls. Mm-hmm. So to quote yeah. Gabrielle again, you know, she's always like muscles, the organ of longevity. So it makes sense. It's tough for some women though. They just don't enjoy strength training. So I think that's a big opportunity in the health space is to make that feel somehow more enjoyable for women by just keeping, you know, sharing these resources more and more. Yeah. Well, let me tell you all, I actually do not enjoy weightlifting at all, but what I do enjoy is how I look in my jeans after. So I have to drag my ass up to my loft in my bedroom to lift weights. I really hate it. I can walk, Mm. I can go hiking for hours. I can do anything, but I don't enjoy weightlifting, but I make it my job and I grit my teeth through it. And you have the resources to hire a trainer don't, you will have a much better workout than when you do it mm-hmm. by yourself. Um, and I, I work with a, a coach who actually does like a hybrid for me where we do Pilates and workouts. Like on Sunday mornings, she'll have me do Pilates moves, but with heavy weights. And I don't know if you've ever done Pilates, it totally isolates the muscles. So you do that with heavy weights. And I'm like, I look down at my quads and I'm like, I'm sorry, girls, I'm about to annihilate you right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, important yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. At least once a week, because otherwise I'm a lazy ass. I hate it. So <laughs> that's why I go to Orange Theory. Orange Theory is like fun for me. Like yeah. it makes me, li- I know, see to each his own, yeah. but like the music is good. The lights yes. are dim enough that I can like lift my weights and feel good. But it's, it's kind of funny. I was in class yesterday and for anyone that doesn't know Orange Theory Fitness, it's 23 minutes usually on the treadmill and then 23 minutes of weightlifting. And we went to the floor and I heard this woman say to the coach, I need more cardio. I'm going to skip the weights no. today. And she did double double cardio. And I wanted to be like, no, go do the weights. Yeah, your hormones don't need you to do, do that. Oh, man. Right. What do you like so to important. do, Lauren? What's your, what's your I program? love strength training. I love weights. I do kettlebells, but I also do a lot of mobility. I don't like cardio, so it's no issue for me to like <laughs> <laughs> try to do less. Um, but you yeah. do it on your own, like no problem, right? Yeah, but I've been a personal trainer for 15 years. It's like, oh. I understand that this is yeah. not, you know, the common narrative, but I do, I do enjoy it. Yeah. But 
Um, I think it's always just meeting the client where they're at. Like you have to find ways to make it enjoyable, fit it in, share the resources so they know it's important, like you said. So I love that we have like three different approaches to that. That's we all awesome. believe in the importance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're almost at the end of our time, but I have one more question I would love to ask about micronutrients. So nutrient deficiencies just seem to be all too common. I also think that's a big overlooked thing with physicians. What kind of supplementation or would you just approach it through food to bump up micronutrients, especially for, you know, estrogen detoxification? I think that's super yeah. important or just stress management. It's a combo of diet and supplements. I Diet alone does not. It, so when I'm talking about diet to detox estrogen, it's a diet rich in protein and quality fats and fiber like chia and flax seeds, which bind estrogens and pull them out. Even though flax is estrogenic, do you still? Well, flax, the lignans though, they do help bind. I I don't consider them estrogenic because they do bind estrogens and pull them out. I find them quite supportive with estrogen detox. And especially if someone's constipated and you get their bowels moving every day, it does help. And then cruciferous vegetables, you know, the uh, brassicas, the um, broccoli and cauliflower and radishes and Brussels sprouts and artichokes are beneficial. Kale's beneficial. I know you carnivore diet lovers are going to like throw tomatoes at me right now, but I do not believe the kale kills you. Like some people think I'm not in that camp. (laughs) Nah, I'm like, okay, that's fine. if That's what you believe. But I don't know. It's different for everybody. Some people feel good on it. And for some people, it's just too much roughage and they just don't have the digestive fire to to handle it. But then of course I do supplement with cruciferous concentrates to help the liver eliminate and the, and the gut eliminate, you know, excess estrogens. There's DIM, there's calcium deglucurate, there's Rocco protect, there's cruciferous complete. There's like all different different ones. And I telling you this, don't do this on your own people, like work with a doctor Mm -hmm. to find what's right for you, because you can't just like, you can't Oprah dim, you know, you get a dim and you get a dim and you, you've got like really individualize the treatments. Yeah. Methylation issues. I feel like dim is very commonly given out and not great for everyone. That's right. right. And once you're postmenopausal, you know, you may be relatively estrogen dominant on a Dutch because your progesterone is so low. Your estrogen can be already low, but your progesterone can be way lower or you can be higher in E4, or E2 estrogens. And in those cases, again, we just give really good liver support. We're not like trying to detox estrogen per se, because that can drive your estrogen down further and worsen hot flashes and migraines and all those things. So mm-hmm. hmm. you got to do the right thing. But I do believe yeah. in supplements. Um, you know, even a B complex can work wonders for your methylation support. There's certain nutrients that I feel like a woman really should be on once she starts hormones. A B complex is one. Glutathione is another really important one. You know, you want to give your liver optimal support in detoxing. And and by the way, all of these nutrients make you feel incredibly energized and good. So it's not like, <laughs> people are like, is there a side effect? I'm like, yeah, to your wallet. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's really, really worth it though. It's If you're going to invest in hormones, just have a small budget for some supplements as well to support you as you go through. Mm-hmm. 
Makes sense. And of course, right. trace minerals are key, you know, for thyroid health, for bone health, there's selenium, there's boron, magnesium, zinc, you know, all chromium. There's so many good trace minerals to help with blood sugar as well. So mm-hmm. all of those, all of those yeah. are important. And sleep, magnesium, glycinate, great for sleep. So all those are important. That's a great Excellent. list right there. Thank you. Awesome. Well, I think we need to wrap things up. Esther, the, everything was so, <laughs> so informative and amazing today. Thank you for all of that. Um, if we can ask one final question, if you can leave our audience with one piece of advice, something they could start doing today yes. to optimize their health and wellness. Yes. Please go to estherblum.com forward slash menopause. You are going to get my happy hormone cocktail which is going to give you three specific tools that you could start doing today to optimize your menopause. And it will also get you a VIP ticket to my live event, which is February 25th, 2023. It's a virtual event. So you can sit in your pajamas all day on a Saturday and learn all the tools and tricks you need to master your menopause. And then come hang with me on Instagram at Gorgeous Esther because I'm always there giving tools. We have great giveaways associated with my book and I have tons of podcasts that you can listen to. I have almost, I think, 100 podcasts on my website now. I will be so happy to add this one to the mix. So yeah, let's like get you the support. And of course, get my book, The Elater Ovulator, because that is like... This is my giant hug to all you menopausal mamas. And on the back, on the back of the book, it says gaslight free zone. Oh, that's great. So important. Thank you for all those resources. Yeah, we'll definitely put all of that in the show notes. So thank you you so much for all of that. That event in February sounds wonderful too. Get my PJs ready. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for this mission that you're on. Thank you for sharing your resources and education. It's just been such a delight to have you. And we're so excited to share you with our audience. So thank you so much. Thanks, Lauren and Renee. And thanks to everyone that tuned in today. We will see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.